The views expressed on this special broadcast of the Take 12 radio show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. A very scary experience. You know, God is a solution. God is 12-step. I like where he's going here. Helps the community grow, helps us grow. Bonnie, <laughs> Bonnie has done a phenomenal job. Lack of open-mindedness. And you're talking about taking people through a spiritual process and getting them into recovery. Thanks, Monty, uh, and thanks for all your support. We need spirituality to make this thing work long-term. It's an absolute pleasure. He certainly knows a lot of people. This is one of the places... It is about the business of the solution. And now, broadcasting on location somewhere in the vast expanse of the Pacific Northwest, it's the over-opinionated 12-stepologist, the Monty Man. friends welcome one and all to all of you who are in recovery those of you who are advocates of and perhaps even some of you who should be welcome to the take 12 recovery radio show this special broadcast uh listen our email address right off the bat is take 12 radio at comcast.net that's the number 12 our main website is take 12 radio.com and you can download our archives you can make copies of them you have our permission to do that Anything that you think will help people within the recovery community or people that need to be part of the recovery community or advocates of, (coughs) excuse me, I have a tickle in my throat, Uh, please feel free to use any of our shows. You go to our Take12Radio.com website and you can sign up for Podomatic, the app. Now, if if you don't have iOS, that's fine. We have an app for that as well. We have for Android. So you can do that and take our shows on the go with you. All of our archives are on YouTube. We're on all social media websites. There's just no way to escape us. We've got you cornered because we are in the process of breaking stigma that is around the number one health crisis in our world today, and that is addiction. Hey, listen, my guest today has always been a positive, high-energy person who has encouraged others and shared advice. She's even made a profession out of it as a speaker and an author and a coach. She has designed her life around looking for the silver lining, fully aware that her reaction to life is what is in her control and that positive and grateful is the way to be. She is no stranger to overcoming adversity and remaining positive through the challenges of life. However, was she ready for what could possibly be the highest mountain she had ever climbed. What she didn't see coming, what she would never have anticipated, was her own son's battle with addiction and how that journey would begin through the process of early recovery. Please join me in welcoming my guest and author of In Sickness and in Silence, Kirsten E. Vogel. Kirsten, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Oh my gosh, I started tearing up a little bit just hearing you. 
Oh, bless your heart. Someone else say the stuff, but I'm all good. I'm going to be good. Okay. Okay. Well, (laughs) you you have. you certainly have climbed a mountain with God's help, and uh, and certainly with uh, the things that you that you've gone through, the things you've studied, the things you've learned. And we're going to be talking about some of the things you've learned through this this process. Uh, but what what I I love about you is not only I mean, listeners, here, here's a person who is helping others all the time. She's she's doing life coach stuff. She's a speaker. But most importantly, she's a mom. And being a mom probably didn't become as, I mean, this has probably been the most real realization of what being a mom is, right? Yeah, yep. So your book, In Sickness and in Silence, the tagline, The Trials and Triumphs of My First Year as a Recovering Addict's Mom, is all about early recovery, your relationship with your son, the questions that you have, and the shock that you went through when you found out that your son was struggling. How did this whole thing start? Well, uh, he was actually at a big time university. It was his first semester. Uh, He was there on scholarship. You know, he's intelligent and talented, and he had a phenomenal first semester. Uh, He's an actor, and he had been cast in a play and was going to be going to Dubai to perform. I mean, this was a freshman. It was amazing. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I went and visited him a lot. He was only about an hour and a half away from me. Yeah. So, you know, I missed him. And, you know, so I looked for any excuse to go see him. And, um, and so I saw him, you know, not all the time, but regularly. You know, I'd be like, hey, you need some new pants? I'll pop up there, take you out to dinner, and we'll go shopping. And, uh there were really no indications that anything was going anything but really well for his first semester. Other than that, you know, he's having a few little struggles with um, acclimating, you know, just saying like I'm having a little hard time making friends and, and things like that. But they had told us at parent orientation to expect that. And so I really didn't any, think anything of it. And so December 15th, 2016, I drove him home for Christmas break that year. And, I mean, all the way home, we had this great conversation. He was so excited about so many of the things that were coming for that next semester. And he had met with all of his professors. They call it a jury. You meet with all your theater professors, and they share. And he had gotten nothing but wonderful feedback. You know, it was all, like, he brings humor, and he's so talented, and and all of that. And, you know, an excitement about his trip to Dubai that was coming up. We were getting his passport ready, and... You know, he said, let's stop for lunch on the way home. And um, so everything seemed great. And, uh, you know, that day he was really tired. But I just thought, oh, he's just coming off of finals. Of course he is, you know. And I could barely wake him up for his dentist appointment that he had that day. And then he fell asleep in the waiting room. But I just thought, wow, you know, he probably really did it, you know, this last week. And uh, But, you know, as as that weekend continued, this was a Thursday that I brought him home. And then over the weekend, just things didn't seem right. He was being really secretive and shutting his door and taking a big bag everywhere he went and leaving his winter coat in his room. And, you know, and it just kind of my, my mom got just started like kind of pinging, you know, like just something's not right. Yeah. And so I, uh, I started looking through his room and I found some funky things, but I tell you, your lizard brain, you know, that amygdala yeah. can really keep you stuck. And, uh, you know, and, and nothing I was finding fit into the context of anything I knew already in my life. Um, 
you know, this couldn't be happening to me, you know, I, you know, so, or our family. So, you know, I, but I found, you know, cut straws. I found a bag with some powder in it. I found some empty prescription bottles, um, empty stuff that shouldn't have been there. But at first I was excusing it away, and that's what our amygdala can do. It can kind of kick us into denial. It's comfortable. We don't need to take action. We don't need to be fearful. Um, it fits into the context if I just say, like, oh, he was playing a game, or, oh, you, you know, I don't know. I came up with weird stuff for that first couple of days of why, but my mom got kept kept me searching, you know, and yeah. being like, I can't put this totally to rest. Something's not right. But um, anyway, and then um, during the next few days, uh, you know, he was just being forgetful, like taking a shower, and then two hours later going to take another shower, and I just kept saying, like, you don't seem like yourself. And he didn't look good either. He was kind of just gray-complected. And um, so by Tuesday night, uh, he actually had an overdose. He was passing out basically at the dinner table, dropping his fork. And so we went to the ER. So that brought on the the positive drug test. And um, we then met with a a counselor who was, um, you know, an addiction professional. And, you know, and he said, I think we're catching it early. I think it's okay. But... But that night, that next night, which was Wednesday, um, I, I was following him around like a caged animal in my house. Um, you know, he was just, he was trying everything to find something to take. You know, we'd emptied his room and, um, and I was, you know, this was just way more than what I could handle. Yeah. And so that next day, that Thursday, so exactly one week from bringing him home, we were checking him into rehab. So, so let, let's rewind a little bit. So, so when you first discovered some of the obvious signs that there was substances uh, that he had possession of, did you confront him at all, or did you just kind of watch to see his behavior? You you mentioned that he was acting different. Did you say anything to him yeah. about it? Did you say, what's this bag? What is this straw? I didn't initially. No. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I tell you, you know, it's funny. So, you know, here we are, like, almost a year and a half later, I've I had been speaking about the amygdala for a long time, but I now have learned that that's kind of what helps us stay in denial. Yeah. You know, so if something doesn't fit into your normal context of what you already know, you fit, it, it kind of fits it in. And so I think that's what was happening. I mean, it's, it's so it's important for loved ones to know. I mean, it's 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 our it's our innate thing. It's going to happen that denial, but you got to overcome it. And so, no, I just kept watching, and I was looking. I wanted something to show me for certain. You know, it's not like I said nothing, but it was more about how tired he was, how forgetful he was, and how he looked. Um, you know, I, I didn't address initially, and again, this is only in a few days, but, um, you know, from, so yeah. from Thursday to Tuesday, I didn't address you're being secretive, you're being weird, um, but I did address you're tired, you're forgetful, you don't look good. You yeah. know, I'm thinking maybe we need to get you to the doctor and check you out. It looks like your body's not processing oxygen well or something. You're great complexed. Those kinds of things. Did you? Um, and I did have them. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, did, did did you? When you found these items, did you did you keep them, or did you let them stay in his property bag? Um, I I left them where they were because okay. I wanted to keep looking, and I wasn't gonna. I didn't want him knowing yet that I was searching things. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Um, I was telling yeah. my husband, I was looking for, you know, like what do you think? You know, yeah. what is this? Why would something like this be in there? You know, um, and then that Tuesday when we took him to the ER, I brought yeah you know, the, the plastic bag. And, of course, they don't, I know, know, but they didn't 
they didn't touch it or look at it or do anything. I thought they might, you know, kind of use right. it. But, um, yeah, no, I, I uh, yep, I left it there. The reason I, the reason I asked that. I didn't find any actual paraphernalia, you know, like, um, there was nothing left of anything I found. It was empty stuff. Sure. Sure. The reason I asked that question, because I was wondering if you had taken it, you know how we will do something and then the other person knows that we know that we know they know, <laughs> but nobody says yeah. anything kind of thing. Uh, but it, but it's, it didn't sound like that's what was going on. But um, so you, you say in your book, you said uh, it has been the most devastating, scary, sad, heart wrenching, overwhelming, anxiety inducing, shocking, isolating time of my life. I honestly can't even yeah. find enough words to stack on top of one another to fully capture how it has felt. So, yeah. so, so from day one, suspecting something was really off, all the way through until you actually got him to the doctor and found out that there was an addiction issue going on. That whole your whole world right there was filled with questions. True. Yeah. Yeah, I did, you know, our, you know, there are pros and cons to every different way that we get a loved one into treatment, and so yeah. I'm so grateful that ours happened quickly. However, I didn't have any of that time of transition to uh, learn anything beforehand right. or know any details whatsoever of what he'd been up to. You know, because we went from he's doing great in college, he had a phenomenal first semester, to something's not quite right, to he was in rehab. I didn't even know really what he'd been using, how long, you know, I, I really, I didn't know anything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, yeah, it was how long has this been going on? How did it start? How bad was it? You know, how did he function at school? How, where was he getting the drugs? You know, was his life ever in danger? Was he, you know, there were so many, there was just, yeah, I didn't know. So Kirsten, mm -hmm. how did it start? Honestly, I still don't know exactly. Okay. Um, and I've I've since learned. Um, so I kind of I kind of say in the book, you know, the day that I picked him up from rehab, yeah, um, he was shaking visibly. Mm -hmm. um, he was so nervous, and I knew like he didn't know if I was going to be mad at him. You know, again, it's everything. Oh yeah. Like, so he didn't know if I was going to be supportive, angry. He was nervous about being out. He was nervous about what was going to happen, you know, all of that. And then I was nervous. Was he going to be committed? Was he, you know, did he want to be well? You know, what was? What are the next steps? I knew nothing of this world. So one of the things I want to point out about this book uh, to our listeners, and, and this is... This is why I want everybody to have this book is is the questions you ask in here. I mean, you, you, you verbalize all the things that a parent or a loved one is thinking. What about this? What about that? I mean, at, at every stage that you walk through in this journey, you have a new set of questions that is totally 100 percent understandable and people can identify with this i i find if 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 my children were going through my two boys were going through what your son was going through i would find this book extremely comforting knowing that i wasn't alone mm -hmm. and, and, and that's my hope yeah that's my hope is that yeah people can feel less alone it's normal i mean you know 
Um, but oh, what well, I know what you asked. Um, how did it? How did it start? Yeah. In that you know, when he came out, I had I was bombarded in my head with a million questions. That I mean, the curiosity was killing me. Right. But I also didn't want it to feel like an inquisition. You know, here's this moment of. I just wanted him to feel loved and supported and nothing more, really. And so I did ask a few questions, and he was open, and that made me feel good. Um, but at, at this point, honestly, I still haven't asked all the questions sure. I would want to know. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, you a said, lot of times you're just moving forward, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, you bet. Uh, you say if it had been a broken leg or a socially acceptable illness – I'm going to go back to that that term there yeah. in a minute. Uh, I'd have shared. Instead, in all of these circumstances and more, I'd hide my hurts and more on like all as uh, more like all was well in the world. So you were thinking, you know, if this was cancer, if this was congestive heart failure or a broken leg or something like that, you could go to the church, you could go to your friends, you could get support. Mm-hmm. But this has got such a stigma attached to it, right? Yeah, and and that part for me was honestly like when we're trying when we're not being our authentic selves, um, that always takes energy. Yeah, to hide stuff. Um, and I've always been a person who's you know I, I share quite a bit, you know, but this wasn't my story to tell. And then there's the stigma, and um, so yeah, it just there was the, the energy again of feeling fake. And um, and inauthentic, but also the heartache. I mean, we live in a social media world, and I was watching other people, you know, with friends and community rallying around them, like, oh, let's start a meal train, and mm-hmm. you know, they have this going on, and we need to help them with this, and let's send prayers. And, and you know, a majority of people in my world had no idea what we were going through, and, right. and we were, you know, logistically challenged, financially challenged, uh. emotionally challenged, and uh, weren't able to garner the support where, while you watch very, you know, openly other people get that support. Yeah. Yeah. Difficult. Yeah. Um, one of the statements you make, and I just love it, you say, it won't happen to everyone, but it can happen to anyone. And uh, was that a wake-up call for you? Was that something you, you didn't really realize before, but now being this close to you? you were, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, you know, and I, you know, I'm ashamed to say, but it's, it's true. I thought that, I mean, I, I was, and I was a single mom for years. I always, my, I invested in my kids. I am a good mom. I know that. And I really felt like I was doing a good job. And I was creating a cushion for us. Um, I think we do that as part of how we minimize the fear of how we sleep at night. You know, we think there's a, I, they're different. They're mm-hmm. different from me. It's not going to happen to us. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I really, and it's probably part of the stigma, too. Um, but, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, I just didn't know. Do you th- even when someone, you know, I knew people had addiction in their family, yeah. but I just had assumptions that there were differences. They must be dysfunctional or, you know, something led to it. And, uh, you know, so lesson learned and, and, you know, shame on me. And now here I'm trying to help remove that stigma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think part of the stigma, especially as parents, is that if, 
somehow we feel like we're betraying our kids if we even think that they may fall into addiction. I mean, just for thinking that, you know. Uh, let me let me let me yeah, probably. Yeah, let me expand on that a little bit. So I have two sons. Um, Cameron, who is in his mid twenties and married, and uh, he's kind of Larry the Cable Guy. You know, I mean, he's you know wears a baseball cap and 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 sleeves cut off and all of his plaid shirts, and he's a big kid and he loves Anya and you know, love you, Dad, love you, Mom. Every time he walks by us, that kind of thing, you know. And and then we have Colin who is in his young 20s, and he's a music major, and he's in ministry and all this stuff, and he's very serious and very businesslike. And and we asked Cameron the other day, or Cameron asked us the other day, he said, Mom and Dad, do, do you think that Colin has ever done anything bad? I mean, bad, bad. And okay. I go, why do you ask? He goes, I don't think he has. I really don't. And I said, well, let me ask you a question, Cameron, now that you're married and older and maybe you feel more comfortable. Have you ever been falling down drunk? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, do I have to answer that? And I go, no, I'm just, no judgment here. I'm just curious. And yeah. he, he said, yeah, and I guess I, I guess I got really loud, too, and then. Then I never had to do that again. And I was like, wow. Well, uh, you know, uh -huh. I'm, I'm a recovered alcoholic. So I know genetically my kids are kind of predisposed, possibly. And, right. and, and Cameron, who is the kind of, you know, yuckety yuck guy, you would think that he would be the kid that might have some problems with alcohol. And yet, when I think about it, my perfectionist younger son, who is studying to be a music professor, who probably hasn't ever had a drink in his life yet, and I hope he doesn't, but he might very well be the one that would have the problem and mm -hmm. not Cameron. And so when he asked that question, there was something in me that felt like, well, if I, if I dare think that either one of them had an issue Am I being a bad parent for thinking that? I mean, it was kind of a mm -hmm. weird feeling. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. and look at our um, like how we our perceptions about addiction. Yeah. Uh, like our false perceptions are that it's a weakness. It's a whole bunch of bad choices. Which you know, it always starts with some amount of bad choices. But the yeah. ultimate, you know, becoming an addict, no one chooses that. Um, there are bad choices that lots of people make. Some end up with addiction, and you know, but most don't. But, right. Um, so, but our feeling of there's a weakness there, or it's someone's fault, like a parenting issue, or a, you know, um, it yeah, it makes it harder. We don't want to think that right. about our kids and and question that. And of course, if kids are experimenting and all those kinds of things, sure. Um, lots of kids do that. Let's lots of, you know, people in college and, um, you know, yeah. so at what point does it even become, like, at what point does it even become a problem versus just kind of what people do, too? Right. You know, there's a lot of um, that. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a, we're going to take a short break. Uh, folks, I want you to listen to this. Uh, we are going to return with uh, author, public speaker, and coach uh, Chris, uh, Kirsten E. Vogel. She has written this book, In Sickness and in Silence, 
Uh, you can get this book by going to www.insicknessandinsilence.com. You can follow the links here at Take 12 Recovery Radio as well. The trials and triumphs of my first year as a recovering addict's mom when we return. Don't go away. A college security officer called to tell me there was a drinking party on campus. The officer said there had been excessive drinking and our son was in the hospital for alcohol poisoning. He said my husband and I should come as soon as we could. I knew my son would face distractions and temptations when he went away to school. He already had unfortunate experiences with alcohol and he was a little too good at fitting in with the crowd. I had no idea things could get so much worse so fast. A nurse suggested we attend Al-Anon family groups. Even though our son claimed his drinking was no big deal, he said he was not an alcoholic and that he could quit whenever he wanted. I didn't want to go to an Al-Anon meeting, but I'm sure glad I went. If someone's drinking troubling you, you might be surprised at what you can learn in an Al-Anon family group from people just like you. Call 1-888-4-AL-ANON or go to alanon.org. Hey there, it's the Monty Man. Did you know that Take 12 Recovery Radio and KHLT Recovery Broadcasting are listener-supported? What that means is we don't receive any financial assistance from advertising products or services that have nothing to do with health or recovery, but are supported by you, our listeners. Any other promotions we commit to are purely our way of sponsoring other endeavors we feel are beneficial to the recovery community. Well, one thing we have learned all too well in our second decade of broadcasting is that we receive not because we ask not. Therefore, three times a year, we come to you, our listeners, for help. Because we are listener-supported, we depend on your donations to keep us on the air. For over 14 years, our listening audience has helped us to do just that. And once again, we are asking for your support. If you feel that Take 12 Recovery Radio is a valuable part of breaking the stigma of addiction and a resource of recovery from the world's number one health crisis, we ask that you consider becoming a Take 12 partner. To donate any amount or to sign up for a reoccurring monthly donation, simply visit our website at take12radio.com and scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the donate button. All proceeds go directly to pay for our expenses to continue to bring you the best in recovery talk and positive music. Won't you consider partnership today? Thank you and God bless. Hey, this is Tommy Holmes and this is the recovery talk and positive music of take12radio.com. No, I would not Welcome back to the show. You've tuned in to Take 12 Recovery Radio, the world's original faith-based, 12-step focused recovery talk and positive music radio station. And uh, we are on the phone with Kirsten E. Vogel. She's the author of In Sickness and in Silence, The Trials and Triumphs of My First Year as a Recovering 
addict's mom. Um, so by the numbers, in 2017, and many of you listeners may know this, many of you may not, it may shock some of you, it may not surprise many of you, 828,000 Americans used heroin. 75% of adults arrested for robbery tested positive for drugs. 135,000 Americans used heroin for the first time. 33,091 persons died from an opiate overdose. 27 million persons self-reported misuse of prescription and illegal drugs. And 1.7 million annual emergency room visits are associated with some form of substance abuse. And this has got to end. One of the ways that this will decrease is by breaking stigma and talking about these issues. That is why it is so vital that we have guests on today, like we have today, people that have gone through this, people that are walking through this. And my guest, Kirsten Evogel, author of In Sickness and in Silence, is walking through it still today. And I congratulate you. I commend you, uh, Kirsten, on uh, this journey that you're on. Let me ask you, these are statistics, but people are people. They're not numbers. How is your relationship with your son today? Really good. Really good. You know, if anything, it's, um, and, and I, I feel we had a good relationship before as well, thankfully. Yeah, um, but I get that. But it's even better. Um, I, have, I have seen such growth in him. I'm so proud of him. I mean, he's getting better at communicating assertively, um, setting boundaries, making requests of others, and such important things for healthy relationships. And yeah. uh, so I, I just, heck, uh, actually just on uh, a couple of days ago, so he's he's now home from um, from school. He's, he's been back at school this year, and he's, he's done well. And uh, so he's home for the summer now. And, uh, you know, I've been missing my littles, you know, when they were little and kind of going. Oh, yeah. And, uh, so I just renewed my Zoom membership. And guess what? My almost 20-year-old, he went to the zoo with me this week. Oh, that's Some great. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is wonderful. I call that a huge win. Yeah. <clears throat> no, and you know what? And I have to say, I mean, he's the reason that I wrote this book and that I'm speaking on this. And I'm so proud of him for that. It was it was about a year ago. And uh and I remember exactly where we were, and uh, he looked at me and he said, Mom, I really think that you should start speaking as the mom of an addict. And, of course, my jaw dropped because you never feel like you're doing anything right. You're so uncertain. And I just looked at him and I said, is there really, you know, is there really enough that I'm doing right that you think I could be of value to anyone? And he said, Mom, I really think there is, and I think you can help a lot of people. And what I love about that, and of course the conversation we went on to have is that, you know, it's really his story. He'd need to be ready to have it out there. And that's when he said, I think in about a year, he said, I want to make sure that I'm, you know, solid and good. And, and, um, so he made it that year. And in the meantime, I had, I had written, you know, started writing this book and he read it and approved it and all of that. And, um, but what I love is, you know, I've always kind of lived my life on two tracks. I live it, and I'm, I'm constantly trying to organize what I'm learning as I go because I'm right. going to share it with others. Mm-hmm. This was his story. But, you know, I'm like, wow, he's, he's kind of wired that way, too. Like, how cool that one of his first thoughts was, let's turn this into something that can help others. And I'm hoping that at some point he's going to start sharing his story, too, you know, beyond the meetings and all of that. So, um, 
but yeah, so I, you know, I, I feel like we're really good and even better than we were. Well, and I, I got, I got that from your book that you guys have always been close and in, you know, I, I, I have not met your son, but I already like him. I, I just, I just do. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I really do. And, and nobody knows their kids like a mom. And, uh, he sounds just like a, a t- tremendous young man. And, you know, every, some of my colleagues, uh, that, that are in the recovery field, uh, some of them that have television shows, some of my friends who have other radio shows, one of the things that they really drive home is that we can take these situations and turn them into teaching tools and um, nothing is wasted. Nothing, nothing goes into the garbage pile. It is all beneficial. Um, And and one of the things you said in your book, you said he must deal with the consequences of this disease, referring to addiction for a lifetime. And I, I made a memo here. I said, also, he will get to reap the benefits of his recovery for a lifetime as well. Um, and and to, to suggest to you, he's the one that that has had this issue, but to suggest to you to, to write this book, what an unselfish thing on his part to do. It tells me that he understands the 12th step, which is practicing these principles in all our affairs and taking the message to other people. Uh, I, I firmly believe, I, you know, when I worked in, uh, in the field as a professional, I would ask the guys and gals, they'd say, why are you here? What, what do you want? And most of the time the answer was, well, I want the pain to stop. And I'm like, well, let's go a little deeper. I think it may be that you're here in recovery to learn how to be of maximum service to God and the people he puts in your life. Mm-hmm. And I can tell by your penmanship, what you've written about your son and your, and your experience, that's exactly what's going on with both of you. I think in a very real sense, it's his story and it's your story, my friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is true. But I, I wanted him... It it is certainly my story, but like the beginning of the book, I did want to make it really clear. Like I never want to overshadow with minimize anything he's been through by saying like, oh, this was so tough for me, you know. Right, Um, right. So I kind of wrote it, but I didn't want to, you know, it's not really about me, but, you know, it's ultimately him. I'm the support role. Absolutely. It's a very important role and and actually something that I'm advocating for more – loved one participation in recovery, like in a structured way, making sure that we have the tools that we need to not hinder recovery, but support it. And, um, so that's actually another thing that I'm up to, but yes, um, so proud of him for, um, for, yes, for wanting his story out and wanting to help others. And it sounds like he's got some pretty good people in his life in his recovery fellowships that are really giving him some some good guidelines and good direction too yeah yep he uh he has a sponsor that he's had now for over a year uh and like his sponsor sponsor is someone that is you know travels around and goes right uh, 
the big events and speaks and yeah, circuit, and, the circuit uh, speaker. Yeah, yeah, he has definitely been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and then some of the well, and which happens a lot when you're younger, you get kind of pulled in the the older people in recovery, um, or the long term recovery people really embrace someone who's um, you know, focused on their recovery when they're younger. Yeah. Uh, so he's definitely been. Um, we laughed the, the very first meeting that he went to. So he got out of rehab on a Monday, and by Tuesday night, he was at his first 10A meeting. And and we didn't know, you know, I, I no one, we didn't know what to expect or anything. <laughs> I drove him there, but I was waiting in the car. And, uh, you know, and so as a mom, that's a super hard thing to watch your son, you know, your 18-year-old walk towards this building. But as I'm sitting there, this parking lot, because we had gotten there a little early, is just people are zooming in, and it's filling up. And I'm like, oh, my Gosh, this is a huge meeting. Right. And because um, at first I was just kind of sitting by myself in the parking lot, you know, listening to the radio, and I'm just watching. Oh. And uh, sure enough, he came out, um, and he was like, yeah, it was a big one. It was multiple rooms and hundreds of people. And, but the cool thing is now that same meeting, uh, they call it the old-timers room. And the long-term recovery people, they actually have a whole meal. They have, a, like, they bring in all this really yummy food. And guess who gets to go into that room? Oh, wow. <laughs> he comes home, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> great. fried chicken and, you know, so, yeah. He, yeah, he's living large at that meeting now. <laughs> uh, that, 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 that is great. Uh, I remember going to my first world convention of Narcotics Anonymous in San Diego many, many years ago. And and then uh, then uh, several years back, also uh, my first world convention of Alcoholics Anonymous, which was in San Antonio, Texas. And I went went up in this, um, I guess you could call it kind of a space needle kind of thing in San Antonio. And I looked mm-hmm. da- I looked down at the city below, and Kirsten, you could not see where people stopped and the pavement began. It was so. Full wow. of people, and uh, San yeah. City of San Antonio said it was the largest convention of people they've ever had in their entire history. Wow! And I thought, you know what? That's we awesome. are not alone. We are not alone. No. Absolutely no. not. And, and it's a wonderful thing. It's, so it's funny, like as I get bolder in telling our story, uh, there has not. I, I cannot think of a time where there isn't someone. That I never would have known. Right. Who is also has a loved one or is dealing in some way with with addiction. And um, I love this. Um, I a guy that was who was in recovery for years um, uh, was in a small group with me years ago uh, through our church. And I will never forget the um, what he shared. And and this might even be a twelve step kind of thing. I, I know I've never heard it myself. Uh-huh. Me, but um, but it was. By telling your story first, you give the gift to someone else to tell their second. Mm, um, amen. Yeah. And I love that and have never, it was, you know, way before we were in this scenario. And, um, but I'm so aware of that as I tell my story because, you know, the bottling it up and feeling alone and all of that. And I do feel like I'm giving people a gift. Uh, yes. When I share my story now and again, there hasn't been a time yet where there isn't someone. And I mean, one time I was in a room with, and it was people from our church. It was this group of women I'd been with for years. And I bet there were seven of us or, you know, less than 10 anyway. And I 
shared what was going on, and we were really in the thick of it still at that point. And I, you know, I kind of sheepishly shared, and uh, three of the other women in the room were dealing with similar things, but I never talked about it. Mm. So I mean, we aren't alone. We just think we're isolated, but right. we're not. It's just we're not. all with each other, and you know, yeah, dealing with it in silence. So, which is a great segue into my next question. As as a woman who uh, has a relationship with God, who believes in God, has God in her life, did you go through any of those thoughts of, well, golly, I, I, if I just had more faith, if I just prayed harder, if I could just get my son to 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 believe in God more, and all that, or, or maybe some of those questions some people have, you know, that it's like, well. I shouldn't be going through this stuff. I mean, me and Jesus, man. I mean, did you think any of those things? You know, I really didn't. Yeah. I, um, and again, as I shared, I've, I've gone through some stuff in my life. And so my, kind of my first response is, I guess I've never said why, why me, but I'll right. put a little, let me come circle back to that though. Um, so my first thing was always just so praying and finding faith and peace there um, and I do always pray for God to use the stuff that we go through so that we can help others. Right. Now, that said, there was a part of me, I mean, part of that, what I said earlier about I felt like I was cushioning my kids, part mm. of that was our huge, not just going to church. Right. Starting ministries and my kids participating in that and having small group in our home for years. And, you know, so we didn't just go to church. We participated and, and have a faith-based home. And so... So it wasn't so much asking God why, but it was it was just that realization of um, there really isn't a cushion that we can create that that will assure us um, that we're not going to go through things like this. That's right. So and then I you know and then I was appreciative of you know that I had that relationship with God and the relationship with my son. Mm-hmm. We weren't already traversing um, you know dysfunction and. You know there was trust already there, so uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have those kinds of things, but you know, definitely leaning on God. And I'm not going to say I didn't have moments of, you know, being angry with God and, and sure. talking about my frustration at our situation. But yeah, it, it's just that I did not ask. I don't think I ever asked why, why me. Yeah, well, I am so glad to hear that uh, because we're living. We're living in a world today within the faith community. There's this, this well, it's it's really not new. It's 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 been around since New Testament times, but there is such a feeling based kind of mentality kind of moving through the church, not all churches, but many, to where it's almost like if you don't get healed, if you if you deal with this, if you if you aren't financially prosperous, you know, then it's your fault. Mm-hmm. You don't have enough faith. You need to pray harder. And no. all. and, and yeah. that's just not true. It's not even biblical. I mean, you know, in the no. world you will have tribulation, but be of good right. cheer. I will from have overcome we, the world. Yeah, from yeah. that we come up. You know, our trials become our testimonies, or yeah, or our past become our testimonies, and. And, and and the tough times are what help us celebrate the good times. I mean, you have to have both to appreciate if life was constantly butterflies and sunshine. <laughs> butterflies and sunshine would get boring, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, and my God loves me uh, and is not punishing me, but he has given all of us free will. 
Yeah. And he does not ever promise that he's going to protect us from all consequences of choices. Um, but, you know, so it's our job, though, to just have faith, keep praying, and, and try to do what's right and serve others and love others. Yeah. Especially in this day and age, love others. <laughs> that That's right. Put your agenda aside and, and, and be the hands and feet of God. And mm-hmm. and reach out to other people. And when people don't fulfill your expectations, well, guess what? Now it's your turn to grow, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Then rely on God. Stop looking for people to oh, with. Yeah. I yeah. mean, of course, we all have to keep learning that. I mean, it's not a simple one. But, yeah, you can't. Don't get your self-esteem from people. They will disappoint. You know, but God is always there and always has us. Has this... Even, you know, in sharing and going out on a limb and sharing a story, you run the risk of people... Oh, yeah. You know, thinking negative of you, but it's okay because I know what's true. That's right. That's right. Has this experience brought you closer to your relationship with God? See, I've been through other things that already had me very close with God. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think, I mean, honestly, I, I, I have to say, so thankfully I already had a really strong foundation. I spent less time, though, during that craziness of that year praying and reading the Bible than I had. So mm. I feel like, hmm, I don't know how to answer that one. So maybe I don't know if it hindered or hurt or helped. Yeah. <laughs> well, whatever's happened, to God be the glory. And I, I yes, just, I, absolutely. Com- I commend you guys, uh, you know. Yeah, you and your son both. Um, all right, so what, a year and a half's gone by now? Yeah, we're coming up on a, a year and a half, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever find yourself kind of falling back into, you know, some of the old thinking, gosh, I wonder if he's okay, you know, that kind of yes, stuff? Of co- yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, even with him coming home right now, like, he had a super busy end of his year and, you know, and he had shared some things with me that it was, he was, you know, he was a little agitated. He was overwhelmed. There was a lot going on and I don't, you know, there might be a way to get there, but as a mom, of course, I'm going to, you know, you're always worried about your kids and how they're going to handle tough times like mm-hmm. that. Uh, but when in the past, that's been one of his strategies, of course, um, you know, I worry, but I appreciate that he's sharing with me. Um, I point him back to his recovery peeps, uh, but, um, you know, like getting him back home, I, I honestly just, uh, a couple of days ago, so he got home Friday, I had to tell him, I'm sorry, buddy, that I said, I know I'm, I'm being a little hypervigilant and I love you and, um, I'm just getting acclimated to having you being back home and, um, and he just said, it's okay, mom, I understand. Um, so yeah, I, you know. Sure. I don't know if I'll ever be like, oh, everything's all good and I won't worry anymore. But right. I will tell you, he's um, he's seeming, and I'm going to use seeming, but I mean, he is seeming happier than he's been in years, um, more content than he's been in years, um, no defensiveness, total, you know, like I said, we have these great conversations where I'm able to say, I'm so sorry that I'm, you know, kind of bugging you about things and asking you things and, um you know, he's just like it's okay. He's understanding of you know my shortcomings. Yeah, yeah. So, well, and you know, yeah. you know, you know, Kirsten. Here's the truth of the matter: uh, those of us in the recovery community, whether we're family members of, uh, we're in the recovery community too, or if we're people that are recovering from addictions or have re- 
are, are in a state of, of, of brand newness or been around for years and years and years, the thing that sought to kill us ends up becoming our greatest asset. And mm-hmm. wow, when that turns that corner and we're able to mm-hmm. give away what's been given to us so freely through this whole recovery community, the the steps and the, and the people and the support and our sponsors and each other, I got to tell you, and, and and I'm a church guy. I'm a big book thumper. I'm an NA basic text thumper. I'm a church thumper. All that stuff, but I, but I'll tell you what: when people get real, like my home group, my Celebrate Recovery home group, there's probably about seventy five people in that thing, and nobody can sing on key. It's the most horrible sounding worship service you've ever heard, <laughs> and it is the most beautiful that you've ever heard because yeah. the the people are just so real. And I'm like, yeah. if the church could get a hold of that more. You know, yeah. uh, I, I'm telling you, it's it, it, it's a glorious thing. And I'm so happy for both you guys. Thank you. Thank a- you. Absolutely. Too. So people can get your book by going to insicknessandinsilence.com and ordering it there. And you can read uh, some more about my guest, uh, Kirsten E. Vogel. And uh, you you have other books that you've you've written too, right? Yes. I mean, so my other books, though, are on leadership, um, you know, so Defeat the Drama and Some People Problems to Productivity. And I do actually have a book uh, that is uh, faith-based, uh, and, and it's um, To Love and Be Cherished, and it's, it's basically dating God's way. Oh, very how, cool. Um, why, why he, why his way, you know, again, he gives us free will. He's not saying you yeah. have to just because I'm making a bunch of rules. but Sure. The stuff in the Bible tends to help life work better. Yeah, it it does do that. Anyway, it's not gonna. I tell people all the time, it's not gonna hurt you. (laughs) All right, the book is in sickness and in silence: the trials and triumphs of my first year as a recovering addict's mom. Uh, What is one of the biggest things as we close this out? What is one of the biggest and most valuable things you've learned through all of this? Man. So many things, right? <laughs> I know. That's a, you. You just put a lot of pressure on me, right there. <laughs> um, I, so many different things are swirling through my head. Love your kids. Sure. Love your kids. Let them know they're loved. Um, I, you know, I think a big one for me is, and I knew this subconsciously, but it's so much in the forefront now that that no one chooses to be an addict. Um, I think, um, and that you know, if you do love an addict, if you can. I think one of my, uh, the thing that has helped me a ton be consistent and not be reckless guilt is uh, separating out. I love my son. I hate this disease. Right. I trust my son. I don't trust this disease. That was so helpful for me because guilt that could creep in by feeling weirded out by locking stuff up and, do, you know, putting things in place that we did at that time. Um, I didn't have to feel guilt and it didn't, you know, and if I had, I might have tripped it up and not kept things in place the way I needed to. Um, so just avoiding guilt and avoiding beating ourselves up and giving ourselves grace and yeah, and it's okay not to be perfect and just, I don't know, all that kind of stuff. You bet. I, yeah. So many things. <laughs> great, great stuff. And folks, if you want to, if you want to read uh, a whole bunch of stuff that uh, my guest has learned through this process, 
You got to get the book. In Sickness and in Silence, The Trials and Triumphs of My First Year as a Recovering Addict's Mom, Kirsten E. Vogel. Go to our website, Take12Radio.com. You can click on the link to get it or simply go to www.insicknessandinsilence.com to do that. Uh, Kirsten, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's really been awesome. I just feel like we're sitting by a fireside chatting. I know. It's great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, good, good stuff. Uh, uh, folks, uh, pick this book up, please, because, listen, uh, there isn't anybody that isn't affected uh, by uh, this insidious illness addiction. I mean, it touches every single person, whether it's directly or indirectly. And if you don't personally identify with this, you know somebody who will and needs to read this. So please, uh, please check it out. Our closing song, Get Ready. This is Steve Dan Mills. Oh, boy. It's a powerful song. It's entitled, Where Is My Child Tonight? stomach's in knots My mind is racing faster with each tick of the clock I believed him when he swore he'd never use that stuff again But now his bed is so empty and for days there's been no word from him Where is my child tonight? Is he out on the edge? Is he out of his mind? I've done everything I know to do with all of my might. Where is my child tonight? I drove through the neighborhood and I walked those mean streets. I begged those using buddies. For the secrets they keep And I reached out at their signs And almost lost control Now I question my own sanity As I search deep within my soul Where is my child tonight? Is she out on the edge? Is she out of her mind? Everything I know to do now I'm dying of fright Where is my child tonight? I both wish and I wish not to hear the ring of that phone With the news that he's alright with the news that she's gone I am so powerless to change them And I know now that it's true I can't make it all by myself Oh Lord, won't you show me what to do Where are our children tonight? Are they out on the edge? Are they out of their minds? Done everything we know to do, Lord. Show us the light. Where are 
Mr. Steve Dan Mills with that extremely powerful and moving song, Where's My Child Tonight? Don't forget, you can check out more of Steve's music, recovery-oriented music, as well as folk music at stevedanmills.com. A very special thank you to my guest this week, author of In Sickness and in Silence, The Trials and Triumphs of My First Year as a Recovering Addict's Mom. Thank you to Kirsten E. Vogel. Please visit her website at insicknessandinsilence.com. You can get the book. Everybody needs to have this book because everybody is affected by the number one health issue in our world, the number one health crisis, addiction. And we all know somebody that we love deeply and care about. You need to have this book in your hand. It's an easy read. It's a short read, but it is an extremely powerful read. And you will know that you are not alone in this. Until next time, this is the Monty Man, and we are wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye now. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting.